Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back, everybody. The Talent Tank back in session. Oh my gosh, you guys are in for it today. This is a... this is Ari. She's our, you know, it's Amber Turner. She's a, yeah, <laughs> she is by far the funniest, most bubbly person I've ever interacted with on the show right off the bat. Just super excited about this. This is a- Amber. How many times have we talked? Twice. This is the second phone call that I've ever had with you. And we've never met in person. That's right. So. That's right. So, <laughs> so you guys hear it first, uh, Amber Turner, she drives the, the number 468. It's a 4,600 Samurai. She drives a Samurai. She's been racing with us for a while. Amber, welcome to the party. Thank you, Wyatt. I'm excited to be here. You're an exciting individual. I'm cautiously nervous, you know, like, and I'm optimistic about being nervous. Like I'm, I love meeting new people and getting new people on here and, and hearing stories about racers. I don't know anything about, or people are involved in the motorsport that I know a little bit, a little inkling of, and so many people have said so many great things about you and I've seen good coverage from you and I've seen, you know, magazine covers with, with you. You are a, uh, you're a hot commodity. Uh, okay. <laughs> I love, yeah, you see, that's it. That's, a, that's the, 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 I, the humble reaction. I just drive a samurai. So. But you drive a samurai and you're competitive in it and you're having fun in it. And it's, you've got your whole family involved and all your friends involved and you've even gotten some of my friends involved and, uh, and you're just, from what I see, just, just, you know, right up front, bubbly, nice person. It is no, I'm no, no shock and no surprise why people are willing to help you because you look like a person that is gladly and genuinely happy to be doing what you're doing and, and affecting everyone around you with your personality. Well, gee, if that's all it takes, then <laughs> I hope that I can uh, give back to the people that want to help me in the same way. So well, if that got, makes any sense, we've got lots <laughs> of stories about that. Lots of stories about, about those folks. So right off the bat, some really interesting stuff happened to you in the past week, right? What is this big news that happened in the last week with you? So I started working at bomber fab on Tuesday was officially my first day. But so I came by to drop off my toolbox on Monday and I wasn't even supposed to be working. And then that's when, you know, I show up at the shop and I'm going to drop off my toolbox and just like drop it and leave. And Randy's like, no, we need to have this car ready by the end of the week. We're going to go run San Felipe. And I'm like, all right, what do you need me to do? (laughs) So I just stayed and (laughs) help. Trial by fire right in the mix. So you, uh, you've, you've closed out your first week working at Bomber Fab for Randy Slauson. What's that like? You know, off the cuff, this is your first time. Don't say anything that'll get you fired. I mean, I'm, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot different from coming from what I call an adult job in air quotes. It's really different because Randy has this whole like good old boy attitude and like way of doing things. And it's kind of refreshing to see that he can still maintain that. And he also had, and, and like part of the reason why I was really excited to go to work for Randy in the first place was because I knew that he had a background in teaching welding. So I knew that I could learn from him because he knew how to teach. Literally, like there was one point where I was sitting at my bench and doing a couple welds and he can't, comes by 
and like takes a Sharpie out and draws a couple things on my desk. And he's like, do it this way. And I was like flashing back to when I was in community college, like learning how to weld. And I was like, this is going to work. I'm going to learn so much here. So there's that. And yeah. And, and like, I know he's, he's the master and that's what I want to learn from. So. I think you're spot on. Yeah. Randy taught at the fab school for, you know, quite a while before, uh, then he wins King of the Hammers the, his first time. And then he finally is able to punch out of California. He gets out of there, moves over to the Reno area, and then he wins KOH again. And then he's just won it again. He's the current, you know, reigning King. Yeah. Working for a three-time King is pretty cool. Like literally every day I think I'm in the shop and I have like an epiphany at some point or another in the day. And I'm like, I really get to do this for a job now. This is my nine to five. <laughs> well, the one thing that I think is fun about Randy and Randy, Randy and I, this is the Easter egg for the future. Everybody, Randy will be on this season. It, this is a, this is a given. We've had the conversation. It just, uh, and we have it scheduled. Uh, let's just go. The there, box so. is in the shop. I've seen it. <laughs> but, that it is. And then we were supposed to use it and then it didn't end up. We didn't get the handoff because Randy already headed to San Felipe. Yeah. We'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll, we'll yeah. figure it out. What I want to see, I'm excited about for you is the insight into Randy's way of fabrication and design, mostly the design. Randy likes to take things and simplify them down. When you look at a bomber car, they are bare bones, minimum race cars. I think that's where I think I really identify with his way of doing things is just the simplification and just like going with things that, you know, it's like, the way I like to put it is like, I'm still on samurai axles because I know samurai axles, you know, I know how they work. I know how they break and all that crap. And I think Randy is the same kind of way, obviously on a larger, more durable scale, but, but learning from that design standpoint and just learning how to use the parts that you have and that, you know, is kind of a lost art almost because everyone's all gung ho about, you know, I need this bigger upgrade or that bigger upgrade to do this and that. It's like, no, you don't, you just, just wheel it, you know? Well, I found it interesting if a few weeks ago, Josh West telling me that, uh, Randy actually detuned, he actually dropped down horsepower for KOH so that he would make things live, you know, live a lot longer, last a little longer. And, uh, well, obviously it was a good, it it worked out well for him. I don't want to give too much away because I know Randy's going to probably going to go over what happened this year in his episode, but just the dumbing down of things is, is basically how he assumes that he was able to win. Cause I guess he likes to push his car so hard that they break. So having a car that doesn't go as hard as it can kept him back and he was able to <laughs> preserve the car, but yeah, no, uh, no spoiler alerts here. Yeah, no, but, but that's a good, that's a good lead in. I mean, uh, so congratulations on uh, making the move to uh, to work for for Randy at Bomber Fab, we're gonna have to touch base in a year and see what you think. If uh, if it's all what it was cracked up to be, or you're like, oh my god, I hate Randy now, or yeah, so like, <laughs> oh my god, I absolutely love Randy. He's been the best boss I've ever had. I've grown so much. I'm hoping for the latter and not the former for you. Obviously, Same. for obvious reasons, yep. <laughs> but um, this is exciting. So uh, you're there for a week so far. And gosh, we have a lot of distance covering some fun stories, but, uh, so you've been there a week so far. You worked on the 4,800 car that's going to San Felipe. It's already, it's already left, right? Yeah. Literally we put it in the trailer last night and I think you got to see the motorsports at like 11 o'clock this morning. 
again to see Josh West. We just, he's got name dropped twice already. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then you leave for San Felipe in the morning. You're headed down that way too. Correct. And now who's, who's this car for? 4,800 car. Yeah. Randy's driving it. Oh, Randy is driving. Okay. I didn't. Yeah. So from my side, my perspective, Randy doesn't ever race series races. <laughs> he, you know, like, right. he's like a KOH only guy. So I just assumed he was going to support uh, a new build. Yeah. So this is all speculation, but I think he was meaning to build the 48 car just to race EMC next year, you know, to get that little edge on the actual 4400 race. But I guess he had the opportunity to go down to Mexico and he took it. And so the Friday, like two Fridays ago, him and the other guy that works there, Alan, were sitting down at lunch and they were like, you want to go to Mexico? Yeah, why not? Let's go to Mexico. So there they are. Now they're going. <laughs> yep. Now there's a car and a trailer. It's, it should be tuned by now. And they're probably in Mexico by now too. So. Well, this is exciting to hear Randy's going to r- race a series race. So as everyone listens to this, you're going to be like, well, Wyatt, that was over the weekend. If that tells you, if that dates the episode, we are recording this right in front of San Felipe and San Felipe will happen when everyone hears this. So eh. Randy, congratulations on your win. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> right. There we go. Well, you know, let, let, you know, the, the story isn't about Randy and it's not about bomber fab. This is about Amber Turner and who she is and how she came to be and what she's up to. So I mentioned, you know, you're a 4,600 class racer. You drive the 468, the little gray samurai, uh, KOH this year, you were, uh, definitely a fan favorite and we've had fan favorites over the years, like the little Toyota that could, and you know, there's various like Cody Addington before he ends oh, up yeah. in the red dragon everyone pulling for Cody, like, oh my gosh, this guy in this stalker, there's just been so God, I mean, there's just like Boston Kyle this year in the EV, the whole world was pulling for Boston Kyle because one is the first EV, but it was awesome. And then we saw Boston Kyle, what he did at San Felipe with his 30,000 or $35,000, uh, car. And he goes out and I mean, he went against Lordstown. Yeah. the, The Lordstown crew with their, you know, yeah. million dollar budget to prove out their oh, car. Oh man. That, that was such it. a fun one to follow. <laughs> no, gosh, it really was like, and I know people in the, you know, not in the racing world, but in my professional world that were absolutely following because they just wanted to see where this EV world goes because it has a big impact on the energy world. And oh no, <laughs> it was disappointing, yeah. but they were still following my LinkedIn stuff because I was putting up, you know, really good, all, all of Boston Kyle's really cool stuff. Like, how he transported the batteries from trailer to doing the the swap and some little stuff along those lines. But anyway, I digress on that. So tell us about your little samurai and KOH this year. And then we're going to talk about Moab and then we're going to go back and talk about you as a kid and growing up, but KOH this year in a Sammy. So KOH this year in a samurai was especially hard, much harder than I would say 2020, which was the first year I raced. You know, just because they had the desert classes in the first part of the week and they just totally ate up the course. I'm sure everybody's heard about that. But each year it's been a learning experience. And that's kind of what I chalk it up to. Because I rock crawling is my bread and butter. Like I know I can do the rock trails. No problem. I can get through those. It's just the desert section that beats me up mentally and physically. Because I'm not super familiar with it. And it's just something that I have to learn and a hump that I have to get over and tune my car for. So and it's, what, it's not terrible. My kidneys the, are intact. <laughs> what's the wheelbase on uh, the Sammy? 80 inches. 
80. Oh man, I was like 80. guessing 100. <laughs> so I was, I was almost two feet off. No, the, the coolest story I heard from this year, and it came out of the tribe, you know, so tribe four by four, tribe 16 guys out of Dallas Fort Worth, Adam Shearer and his whole crew, they pitted for you for the MC, right? And Correct. then the story I heard, and I'm sure other people have heard this story because I probably even told it before because I thought it was the it's really the, for me, it's the epitome of ultra four. It's the epitome of, of the off-road genre that we like in the family and the stories we tell is that you bent a leaf spring on the Sammy during the race. Mm-hmm. They put out the call for who, if anyone has a stock leaf spring or something to the effect and somebody on the lake bed pulled the leaf spring off their daily driver, or whatever this, and he delivers it over to your pit and they swap it. So tell that story. If you want to hear the whole race day story, because there's a little bit more to that. That's one of the stories. So the night before the race, I had been meaning to get to this engine tuner all week to try to get my carb tuned. And I finally make it to this guy's camp Thursday night. Cause we raced on Friday and he's like screwing with my carb and I'm telling him his problems. And he's like, yeah, we got to pull this whole thing apart and rebuild it. And you know, we don't have the time or the space for it. And so we're in his pit and this other guy that's camped right next to them comes over and he's like, Hey, I've got a Weber carb on my samurai out back. You can just borrow it. So we literally pulled the carb off of his samurai and put it on mine. And I ran that carb for the race. Then I had to pull it back off and send it to him when I got home. So (laughs) that's the first thing that happened. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And then come race day. And this is like a stupid, dumb mistake that I still kick myself for. Like we leave start finish at at like 8.30 a.m., very first start of the race, come over the first jump, and I absolutely nosedive because I didn't realize how steep that jump was on the other side. And I bent both front leaf springs. And so we're coming into the wash going into back door. And I'm like, something's wrong. You know, something's off. I can feel this thing, you know, just rubbing everywhere. It felt okay. Like the suspension was still working kind of how it should, but I knew something was off and we pull into the, the first pit and I like, yeah, both your front leaf springs are bent. And I'm just like, I was so pissed. I was just going off and I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to run them as long as I can until they break. You know, we make it back around and then we come into main pit and I'm literally going to just bypass main pit on Hammertown and go straight to the rock section. And everybody at tribe is outside in the front and they're like motioning me in, like yelling at me. I'm like, Okay, I guess I'll go in. And I get in and they swapped my leaf springs out for there was this dude that was actually camped right next to us. And he had this sweet little samurai with a little bit of a lift. And I'd been meaning to like go up and talk to this guy all week. I was, you know, that's my thing. I'm like, hey, you have a nice samurai, you know? But so this guy comes over and he's got similar leaf springs to mine. They're spring under with a three inch lift. And they had his samurai parked in the back, took the front springs out and threw them on mine in like 15 minutes. And I was off. And away you go. Yeah. And so I ran the, you know, to basically the bottom of outer limits where I timed out with those leaf springs. But it was just like the fact that between the first pit and main pit, you know, coming around the second or the first lap, somebody had on this guy and made the connection. He was like, yeah, you can borrow my leaf spring. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So. And then the story I heard was when he came to get them back, he, he comes over and he was like, they're like, uh, can we help you? And he goes, 
uh, yeah, I was just here to get my leaf springs. I need to drive home. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and they're like, basically. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you. You're the guy. Okay. And so then they pulled him in <laughs> and, and yeah, sending him, send him about his way and, you know, on his path. But yeah, saved your race yeah. for you. But you guys timed out. Yeah. We timed it out at the bottom of outer limits. There was that traffic jam there. And I just decided to call it. But like going back to the dude that I borrowed the leaf springs from, like he just kind of walked into the pit that night. It was after the race. We'd pulled in and everything. It was super late. All the tribe guys had gone to do a recovery. And so me and my co-driver swapped the leaf springs right there and put them back on his rig so he could drive home and like limped my samurai back to camp. <laughs> uh, but you did it though, right? I mean, on your terms. Yeah. Okay. And, and it was a great donation, if you will. You know, they race car parts now. <laughs> oh, no, that guy's living high on karma. He's in- <laughs> For sure. So, okay. So you female racer guys, you know, have an advantage here. They wear, you know, they've got a catheter situation, you know, it's a, it's a roll on deal from the female perspective. They exist. Do you run a catheter while racing? Heck yeah. Okay. I think it's, it's probably one of the greatest inventions. Okay. Let's hear it. Let's hear it. So diving straight into it. This is the first year that I had used a catheter because I think rugged seldom. Oh, female does Ruggis have female obviously. ones? Do, do they call, are yeah. they, what do they call? Are they called like Shiwis or something? I've seen those. I, I think they're just female catheters. It's basically like the, the little medical baggie. And then they put their own like extra long hose in there. And that's their female catheter, you know, sales thing. You know, just extra stuff added to the bag. But you can buy them at their, you know, the trailer that they have. And they bring your races and stuff. Solid. So picked one up during KOH. and. I was kind of nervous about it, but it worked. (laughs) And it was actually really funny because, I don't know, there's probably other racers out there that have this story. And I know, like, yeah, I heard, like, you're not a real racer racer until you have a catheter story. Well, here's mine because I only have one. We get probably to mile, like, 50. And I'm like, oh, I really have to pee. (laughs) And I, I couldn't go until, like, mile 70. Like, I just tried and tried, and I was, you know, because something in your head's like, this isn't right. This isn't going to work. That's right. <laughs> yeah, see, you know. And, and eventually, it's just like, oh, this is great. <laughs> yeah, you're still reading terrain. You're checking up on brakes. You know, <laughs> you're getting your mat in the gas, and you're just letting it fly. Yeah. And it's great, too, because uh, I, I, there's holes in my floorboard, so I just stick the hose up the hole in my floorboard, and there it goes. Well, it, it, but, I think you missed it a little bit in the, in the saying, I think the saying is, you know, you're not a pro or something along those lines until you have a catheter fail story. All right. I well, think, I, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> because if I know anything about it, it's, they are absolutely the best, you know, they're, they're the best. They are the great, one of the greatest, you know, inventions for off-road racing, but invariably you will have a failure. Either the adhesive will come off or you'll kink the hose or something I personally like, like guys like Cody Addington. I love Cody. This second time we're going to talk about Cody. Cody is one of those guys. He prefers to leave his on even after the race. And if you know that, which now, now Cody's going to punch me next time I see him because <laughs> just after a race, look at him. And if you see a little hose hanging out the bottom, just go over and stand next to him. Maybe stand on top of it. Oh <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> or, or anybody else. <laughs> They're going to be like, that's the April fool's joke. No, I'm, I'm somewhat joking, but. I'm not. You want some bad karma? <laughs> yeah, that's that's it. I won't see Cody until national, so I have a little bit of time to uh, 
to avoid him, but he's going to get me. But that's, that's exactly it. You can see. And then the other thing is, you know, they give you extra length and it seems like the mistake everyone makes is they cut it while they're like, they, like they sit down or, or they're standing up when they cut it. That's always, they, you're standing up and you see how long it is and then you cut it. And then you sit, then when you sit down, it sucks up into your, your, your fire suit. And then it's like yep. six inches from the bottom of your pant cuff. And then you invariably, if you do pee, it's going to fill your shoe. That's the other failure that I've definitely seen. <laughs> Easy failures. Hey, I do have like one small failure because we pulled in a main pit. And I think right before that, I had accidentally like pulled the hose up through the floorboard. So I didn't want to pee all over my floorboard. So we're, we're in main pit. And they're changing out my leaf springs. And my sister's standing over to the side. And I'm like, hey, Sarah. You want to do something gross? <laughs> Can you pull my catheter through the floorboard? She's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we've heard the, you know, the stories about you know, the pit guy runs over and they're doing, you know, the fluid checks and you know, nut and bolt check. And they will see the fluid running out because either the driver, the, the co-driver can't, you know, release their bladder while they're going, right? While the vehicle's going, they need to be stopped. And which that right. is, like you just said, that's an interesting feeling to do it while you're moving and especially driving. It's because you're strapped in the seat and all that. It's a little, it's a little awkward. It's totally unnatural, but it, you get used to it and then you actually enjoy it. Yeah, like, this is the, <laughs> that sounds weird, but that's how it is. I'm, I'm glad we're having this conversation because I've tried to describe this to other people. Not that I'm weird or curious about it, but I know that it's a very different experience for the equipment that the women have. Yeah, and and that's one of the things that I've, it comes up a lot, not for me personally, like I've heard the question asked of other female racers before, it's like, you know, what do you do if you have to pee while you're racing? And I haven't heard a catheter as a viable resource very often. So, hey, ladies, if you want to race, use a catheter, (laughs) there's your PSA. (laughs) You can go get, go over to the rugged trailer and get them. We're online, right? Yep. Oh, so so let's jump back. So right now, today, today you you live in Reno. Today you're working at Bomber Fab, but you're a Californian, right? You're from California. Cal- Californian. Yep. <laughs> Born and raised. So I'm originally from the San Francisco Bay Area. Born in Hayward. Pretty much raised in San Ramon, which is like the next town over from Danville, where Jason Shear lives, and moved to Reno two years ago to get out of California, obviously, and, you know, be closer to Rubicon, be closer to Fort Ice, all the wheeling trails, cheaper for everything. So, yeah. So, yeah. so looking at your Facebook, looking at your social media presence, looking at your question, your, all your questions to me or your questionnaire to me, you and your family, you are just outside people. You guys recreate every weekend. You're somewhere outside doing something. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, like we're definitely not homebodies. We definitely don't like, sitting at home watching TV or anything like that. But growing up, we spent a lot of weekends at a lake out in uh, Calaveras County, you know, gold country in California. Spent a lot of time there because I grew up around jet skis. Like that's how my parents met was racing jet skis. And so racing's in your blood. Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Like even my grandparents raced. My, my mom's parents both raised even you know my grandpa and grandma actually i'm wearing her ring right now with a little jet skier on it but yeah so my grandparents raced both my parents raced and then jet skis kind of fell out of fashion i guess 
in the late 80s, early 90s. And the last time that my family was on circuit was 1983, the year I was born. And after that, they just kind of fell away from it. So were they the stand-up skis? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that's yes. the manufacturers just kind of stopped making like, because they went for all the sit down skis, right? Yeah. I mean, that's the easier one to rent to people who have never done it before. <laughs> right. You know, that's the market, but now I see jet skis coming back in force. Like that's the cool thing to have this summer, you know, tow a jet ski behind your YJ. You're, you're balling. <laughs> right. We had jet skis growing up as well. And, uh, like the one that we, I had a wave blaster, a Yamaha wave blaster what I wouldn't give to have one of those today. Like yeah, I dude. would give anything to have one back. Yeah. I think we may still have, I think my brother has my grandma's old ski still her old stand up. But as far as like all the old equipment that we used to have, we still have, I, do you know what a jet mate is? No. Uh-uh. It's, I know it's a jet ski engine and it's a little fiberglass hole with like five seats in it. And it's like totally gutless. And we only ever use the thing for like, towing tubes and like broken skis off the lake but my parents still have that and that was my mom's request for mother's day this past weekend was for my dad to get that thing running so she could tow it to the lake and have a lake day on it so that's what we got going for us is it like a precursor to the uh the mini jet boats yeah but slower (laughs) a lot slower right yeah a lot slower they're just cool little boats i don't even know why they made them the way they did but that's what we've got. Just one of those oddball little things. Well, talk to me about your parents, right? They, they are heavily involved in your program and not just your program, heavily involved in KOH in general. They volunteer. Your mom's kind of a famous volunteer. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. So this off-roading and outdoorsy stuff has always kind of been a family thing for us. And so like, if one of us is into it, I mean, all of us are into it, not even just one of us is into it, but we started at KOH in 2014 and it was kind of just on a whim. We went down on like a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday deal. And my mom was like, well, how can we fully immerse ourselves in this? How can we get like the best seats in the house? And that was volunteering. So we've been volunteering since 2014 every year. And this year actually on a whim, Right after I had finished racing on Thursday was the volunteer raffle, which is kind of a big deal if you know about it. You know, all the manufacturers throw in a bunch of really cool prizes. And that's like, you know, you have the big volunteer meeting beforehand and then you have the raffle and everybody shows up for it. And on a whim, my mom ran that this year. Awesome. So that was totally cool. Dave suckered me in 2010 i just happened to be like walking by the big tent just before that and he pulled me in and i got a i did the raffle that year i had no idea i I was in the wrong place at the right time i think was the way that went down (laughs) but it really opened my eyes to one how many volunteers there were and this is 11 years ago i mean koh was it was big and as adam woodley would say it's that it's that damn big no it's like five times that six times that today, it's completely a different animal, but how many volunteers there were and just how grateful I was for what they were doing and why they were like, you couldn't get me to go out to the middle of nowhere and sit in my Jeep. I'm just not like, I can't do it (laughs) and work winch recovery on, let's say outer limits or somewhere. I'm not built for that. Well, I, I wasn't a very good wheeler to begin with. I'm a good racer, not a good wheeler. And maybe that's the patience thing, but 
just the volunteerism and all the people that throw in their hat in the ring to help is just, it's, it's really cool to watch. Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, I guess it must take a special person, but like, I actually really enjoy volunteering and, and helping a racers and like be spectators. Even like my favorite position volunteering is and was doing the road crossing at backdoor back when you could go across and like sit up in the, you know, the other side of the Canyon there. So that was the very first, I guess, position that I held. That was the first time that I volunteered was I did that. And I actually went back every year after to try to get the same one. I would just like show up at backdoor on Friday and be like, Hey, uh, you guys need some extra help. But you know, running recovery is super fun. Just helping out the racers. Everybody's like super thankful for the help and for all the volunteers being out there and even sitting in the middle of nowhere is kind of cool. Cause we did a road cross, like a remote road crossing on lap one, one year and the PSC buggy broke down like right in front of us. So those guys got out, called it in and then we made them burgers. Oh, fun. So they just hung out. Yeah. Fun, fun. And then your, your mom it, from, if I understand right, she tends to end up like, she likes to do checkpoints. Yes. The last couple of years when they were doing sticker checkpoints, that was the fun one to do for sure. All right. So, so she is checkpoint Dolly. <laughs> checkpoint Dolly. So that's your yep. mom, Dolly, like Dolly Parton, Dolly. What's your dad's name? Eric. And he's fully immersed too. He's fully into it as well, right? Oh yeah. He, he goes where we go. <laughs> and then you have some siblings that are all, but one of your siblings is just heavily involved with you as well. There's like, I think you're the oldest. I think there's four of you. Correct. Yeah. I'm the oldest. I have three siblings, two brothers, one sister. My youngest brother is also involved in it. He has his own forerunner. He's built it to the hill, you know, tore it down and rebuilt it again. He's got a two-year-old daughter who loves coming along with us. She's adorable. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) And then my, my youngest sister, youngest sibling, my sister also has a samurai that I helped her build. And she doesn't wheel it that often, but she always comes with us to KOH and she always has a great time. We even have like a kind of like a sister plus, like she's not a biological sibling, but she's been around the family forever. And she lived with my parents for a while. And even she has a samurai and she comes wheeling with us. So oh, a huge cool. family affair. So, kind of like a motorcycle gang, but like smaller. Yeah. We all live in the same house. At one point or another. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, like your samurais are smaller than the motorcycles. <laughs> oh, Motorcycle man. motors. Your uh, related sister, if I saw right, and I'll talk about this, this thing, you know, she, her job, you know, you fabricate, she runs a, uh, a pump truck, a concrete pump truck, a boom. Yeah. Do you know, you know what, how many meter boom she runs or do they, do they rotate her onto different trucks or does she have specifically, she's assigned the. 27 meter the 30 meter dang it i you know what that is a that is a number that i should know and i don't i know it's one of the bigger trucks she has her own i know it's one of the bigger trucks like i just said but i don't know the size of it i know she has her class a and all that crap i was super impressed when you shared that with me and then i'm looking through some pictures i see her you know that's basically like playing that's a really hard video game but you're literally basically playing a video game all day you know you're, you're, you're on your feet one, the setup and the breakdown, I don't know how she does it. Like I've seen 
you know, because I'm involved in concrete as well, uh, on a business and the, the work that those pump truck guys, they've got, they've got to be the first one on the job. So they're there at three in the morning. That means they're leaving their house at 1am driving to get in the truck, then getting in the truck and getting to the job site and getting set up before first concrete rolls at three 34, four 30 in the morning. And when they put the outriggers out on the, on the pump truck, then they're sliding, you know, all the cribbing, all the wood that goes underneath it to make sure those things don't sink. And just slinging those things around or, I mean, they weigh 100, 150 pounds, no problem, easy. So you got to set those up. And then after they've sat there all day, most of the time in mud in my world, then you got to pull them out. Now they got an extra 50 pounds of mud on them. You got to clean up the street. So they're shoveling the concrete out of the hopper that has fallen out on the street. I mean, like all the stuff. And then they got to drive back and wash the truck and make sure the thing's clean. So the concrete doesn't set up in it. That is a, that's a hard damn job. Yeah. And, and she followed in my dad's footsteps for that one. Cause he's been doing it since we were kids. Cause he started at this company as a mechanic and worked his way up to a pump operator. And then a couple of years ago, my sister had some downtime. So she started going to work with my dad and now she's pumping concrete too. She's got her own pump and her and my dad kind of switch off, you know, taking days off, you know, if he's going to be gone, she's going to work. Oh, she's going to cool. be gone. He's going to work. So yeah. Yeah. And it's basically like hydraulically painting a picture, right? You're using the hydraulics on this boom. So they've got the, the controller hangs around their neck and they can kind of walk all over the job site, but then with the joysticks, they're running the speed of the pump and then they're running it, you know, left, right, up, down, and they're making sure. And if they swing it a little too fast, they're going to hurt somebody. Like there's that, right. the, the hose that's hanging out with all, I mean, it's like a, I guess it's like a fire hose, you know, like you see a fire hose gets too much pressure and it goes flying around and you know, yeah, it, exactly. it's exactly like that. Only it's shooting concrete out of the end. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of heavy. <laughs> well, I, I don't know your sister, but she's already a hero of mine. Like I just, <laughs> the wherewithal that you have to have, I looked at those guys, like I've, I see them and I'm just like, man, they, they're just the ones that they just absolutely take the beating. Just absolutely oh, yeah. take a, take a beating. And there's like no break. How do you think there's, I feel? <laughs> there's like no break for them. Like if they got to go to the bathroom, it's like if they they are the one guy on the job that if they have to take the break, the whole job takes a break. Oh yeah, no, my dad wears a catheter on his job site. Oh, see, <laughs> you, he's got the Kiko down. Now you now your sister's gonna be like, okay, uh, can you swing by rugged at the next race and pick me up a case? <laughs> exactly. I can try, try this out. Oh man. Uh, and then your, your, yeah. bro- your brother, Stuart, what's, what's Stuart do? He, you say he's got a four wheel, a forerunner and he's into wheeling. Yeah. So he, he was actually a mechanic at the same company that my dad and my sister were working at for a while. It was really funny for a while there. Like I was the only sibling that didn't work at that company. So he kind of started as the mechanic there. And when COVID hit, they laid him off. So he went to work for his father-in-law doing odd jobs here and there. And right now he's unemployed and just working on his trip. So oh. I, I actually sent my, my, I have a little daily driver Chevy Cavalier. So I sent that down for him to work on a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Throw him some work and uh, also you get your car taken care of. Right. Yeah, exactly. In high school, did you think you were playing or what was your, what was your, as a high schooler looking forward to it, being an adult, 
you're using air quotes being an adult. <laughs> I, I, I think being an adults, a very, very loose term and thrown around way too much these days, but, uh, uh adulting as you look forward to it, did you, what was your kind of career goals based on career path? Cause your career path, you end up going to community college to learn to weld. At what point did that start kind of becoming what you wanted to do or decided to do? And what kind of, what were some of the factors that maybe other young women would look towards and say, you know, that's something that would interest me. That's something that I would like to do. Yeah. So going all the way back, if I'm standing where I was in high school, looking forward, I thought, you know, the whole thing was drilled into my head. Like you have to go to college, be successful and make any money. So that's was kind of the path that I took. I was, you know, I didn't have the grades to try to apply to a four-year school. So I went straight into community college thinking I'd take my general ed there and then transfer. And initially I wanted to be a large animal vet. I wanted to go into like a horse veterinary program. So that's what I was doing for the first two, I think two years of community college was I was just working towards my general ed to transfer into that program. And then, and at the same time, I was doing like volunteer work with horses. Basically, I was going back and forth to a barn, taking care of people's horses. And then I was working for a trainer for a while. And at some point I realized like, I don't really want to do this. So there was a hiatus period almost where I didn't know what I was doing. And it wasn't very long, but I took a welding class in community college just so that I could build a set of rock sliders for my samurai. Like it was, how do I put this in the way that I want to put it? All I wanted to do was build this set of rock sliders in this class. So I took the one nig tig class and I never finished the rock sliders, but I ended up taking all the welding classes that the community college offered. And even going all the way back to like, in my very first welding class, I was, we had a, you know, there's a lab period and a in-class period where lab and lecture. So I'm sitting in the lecture period and we're watching a video from American Welding Society and Jesse Combs is in the video. And so I'm sitting in the back, like, back of the class, like, I just want to build this set of rock sliders. And I see Jesse in the video and I'm like, if Jesse can do it, I can do it. Why don't I just become a welder? So it snowballed. And here you are. Well, I was, I was yeah. curious about that before we close that. Were you, uh, were you an art? Were you uh, a creative minded individual to begin with? Uh, I think I was, it was, it was definitely muted coming from in middle school. I did a lot of stuff with like Photoshop and things like that, but it was never really a skill that was cultivated for me. So the artistic side never really came out. It was, you know, going into school and going into community college, it was always like, what kind of a job can I get to make money and make a living? And so when I got to that point where I needed to pick what I wanted to do, I was kind of looking at it like, well, I want to be in automotive and who makes the most money in a basically custom automotive shop. And my answer was the fabricator. So that's what I went with. <laughs> I, hey, I like it. I mean, I, I, I like it. So ad- advice you would give for other young women that are looking to get into, into a trade. You have any there or just, just dumb just, luck or <laughs> well, uh, not even dumb luck. Like just my advice. And it's really broad is just do it. Don't worry about what other people are going to think or imprint on you. If, if, 
it's something that you want to do, you can just dive into it and make your own path. Go for it. You know, that's It'll exactly what I would say that, that I would yeah. give that advice to anybody, but I think that's especially true of females in a male dominated genre. I mean, we're at a shortage for, for welders in this country to begin with. It pays well. And now that I see it on Instagram, you know, I see regular welders on a daily basis that are now, you know, you know, penetrating into the pipeline fields, into the, the job shop fields, and they're executing there and they're executing on the inspection side. There is absolutely the barriers that I think existed even just five years ago and then 10 years ago and 20 years ago for uh, females to participate in those fields are completely broke down. And, and some of it is uh, Jesse. Jesse did a, she was just a champion for, for females in the workforce and God bless her for it. I, th- I know today you are, uh, you're involved with uh, the Jesse Combs foundation. Correct. And I, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think anyone has to ask questions about me being, you know, supporting that organization. I, uh, you know, it's really sad that you know, we, we lost Jesse because I, I know today she'd still be carrying that torch hard and heavy, but there's a lot of other people that in the, I guess the vacuum of her not being there have picked up and have carried that, that torch as well. And it's really cool to see all the ladies, the young ladies that have come out of that organization or not, I shouldn't say come out of that organization, but that that organization has had the opportunity to support and help them foster their skill sets and help right. them, and help them chase their dreams. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole, the whole point of the organization is to cultivate the next generation of female trailblazers. Cause it's, it's not easy being different basically what that's what it boils down to so to bring up a whole sisterhood of women that are breaking barriers in the way that they are and to be a part of that is is really humbling and super special to me because i know because obviously jesse was a big influence on me and so if if i can show someone else that they can do it too that's something that would make me really happy (laughs) Well, you just said something that just strikes a chord with me, you know, about being different. We watch the like Hollywood and Hollywood movies or TV shows, and we really celebrate being different on TV shows, but in practice, in real world, we don't, we, we ostracize different. Yeah. And, and it kind of works out in Hollywood too, when you're putting it that way, because putting our differences out there is probably one of the best ways to overcome them just laying it out on the table and just normalizing it. Right. Basically. Absolutely. If that makes any sense. <laughs> well, there will be, this will probably come across as a dig. You know, it's like if we normalize short coursing, then we can then normalize it in the rule book to where short coursing is now <laughs> acceptable. <laughs> oh, going back to current events. Oh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've had so many conversations in the last couple in the last week or whatever around, um, the new rule book and people, you know, just texting or calling or Facebook messenger and, you know, like, what's your take on these? And I'm like, well, I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really thought that we had gotten to a place where after Moab and after rush that there was rules that were in place and then they were enforced. I find it unfortunate the people that, you know, broke the rules or were found to be in violation of the rules for short coursing or going backwards on course that they were actually on the same team. I don't think that there was any 
ill will or coordination or intent to to do that. It, they just happen happen to be the ones that were there. Um, but then the, I really thought we were going. I don't know. Just I digress. Uh, I feel like we were in the right place, going the right direction as far as rules and transparency. And then it just felt like this week. And I'm not the only one. I'm not a driver. I have no you know dog in the game. Uh, but a lot of the other drivers that I've heard from have felt like the rug got pulled out from underneath that transparency. What's your take on that? I'm not in 4400, so I have no room to speak. <laughs> but but those same, those same rules apply to your class. Yeah, the same rules apply, but we're a lot slower. So it's a lot easier for us to not short course, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. I I've think, just kind it, of been keeping the whole conversation at arm, arm's length because, I, I like I said, I don't really have any room to speak. But I do keep up with like the new rules and obviously current events. Oh, and it makes for good internet drama too. Like, like the internet is eating that up. I mean, people get off on drama, me included. I love a good roast. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> grab the popcorn. Yeah. Or a train wreck, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to be like, Hey, <laughs> I know it's really oh, yeah. bad, but I can't look away. Yeah. yeah. I think that was, that was probably the highlight of my whole drive home from Moab. It's <laughs> just reading the, the comments and the talent take insiders group. It has been great. It really has been great. Well, no, I, I lo- we'll get off that. Yeah. I really do appreciate your insight on, um, on how you ended up in the, uh, the, the world of putting a technical trade and, and learning a trade and now taking the steps to hone your trade and, uh, make career changes to take it to the next level. And, you know, yeah, Jesse was a good, uh, you know, a good fabricator, great fabricator, even you know, if she was a dude, it doesn't matter. But in the off-road world, uh, we've had a few, you know, Jessica Johnson. I think a lot of people look up to her. I think she's done a very good job, but then she's kind of fallen. You know, she was with Miller Motorsports for a long time. And then now I think she got a job in a job shop welding in a shop. I haven't seen her around ultra four, but I think it's so freaking cool to have you, how you're chasing it. If, if that makes sense. You mean from like a, like how I'm kind of merging my professional world and yeah, yeah. Guess, this hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of how I dove into it to begin with. Cause you know, obviously from the very beginning, I wanted to be in automotive and I never ever expected it to get this far, but I always kind of try to go into things with zero expectations. So I'm always pleasantly surprised when something cool does happen. So just full immersion is how I like to do things. So you did the volunteerism. Like, so you volunteered at KOH and now you're racing KOH. You <laughs> took a welding class and then you took everything in the, every welding class they had. And then now that's your job. You know, now you're doing that to, as a career and now you're racing as well. I just, I don't know if, it, if I'm sure you can see it, but from my standpoint and why you're sitting in front of me is because of these two trajectories and that you're a champion for the organization and you're a champion for basically the ultra four family. And then over here, you're also a champion for women in the workplace doing technical jobs. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it obviously bridges together because now I, you know, I, I'm a racer and I work on race cars every day, which blows me away every single day, but that's what I do every day now. So it's really cool. <laughs> so, so you have some really cool, uh, rock crawling stories that I want to jump back into the, they started, you know, certainly when you're growing up and then later on in life and then now where we are today, but your mom and dad wheeling, wheeling the Rubicon, you grew up in a place where you could go the Rubicon on a re- regular basis. 
which I'm envious because there's a lot of guys that have been on the show. They're like, Oh yeah, I go to the Rubicon on a regular basis. Like, like, like Goodby, we were there every weekend or Jason Shear, like how often they're up there. Tom ways is like all of pirates of, uh, you know, a pirate four by four. Did they just like hang out on the Rubicon? Yeah, the, apparently they did. They like, they really did. That was a thing. <laughs> they, they even built a forum around it, but now we hang out all in Johnson Valley one time a year, random races or, you know, around the country. But so your, your dad has a, has a rig that we should all think that's noticeable. It's recognizable. What's that? Yep. That was easy. It's a, it's a super clapped out forerunner at this point. Two years ago, he rolled it on its lid and smashed it completely. And so he cut the top off and I put this really haggard cage on it, but he's got a Papa John's pizza sign on top of it. So anybody who's listening, if you ever see a clapped out Toyota with a Papa John's pizza sign on top, ask for pizza. (laughs) You will not be disappointed. So I've met your dad and I've actually asked that, but had no idea that there was, I didn't know you and I didn't know who he was. It was just, he had, we really honestly thought he was like the on lake bed delivery guy. Like that, that would make sense. (laughs) Right. And we yeah. were so wrong. Like we, we couldn't have been, we couldn't have been wronger uh, uh, about that. That is so funny. You know, I get that story all the time. Like when I tell people, my dad's got the forerunner with the top of John's people side, they're like, Oh yeah, I met that guy. I'm seeing him. He gave me pizza. Once. <laughs> right? It's super cool. I love it. You know, you've got a, a couple Sammy's in the group. Your dad's got a, a, a Yoda. And then I know at some point in life, you end up uh, involved with uh, Justin Reese and his program. And in his Yoda, right? I meant Justin Hall. Justin Hall, that samurai. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I've known Justin for a couple of years now. And 2019, I helped with his pit crew. And that was kind of one of the baby steps that I took to racing was like I volunteered for a while and then I'd gotten myself on a pit crew. So I'd seen that part of racing. And then the very next year was when I raced. But while I was pitting for Justin Hall, We'd all come back to main pit from the remote pit. We were waiting for Justin to come in. He came in third that year. And the car that came in right before him was Justin Reese in his little Toyota. Okay. And so, and it was like a huge deal. He came in first in stock class and he had the drone on him like a whole time coming in. And he comes across the the podium and everyone's like stoked out of their minds. And I'm looking up there and I'm, you know, I see this Toyota and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, my dad has a similar truck and I go everywhere that that thing goes in my Samurai. So if Justin's Samurai can do it or Justin's Toyota can do it, then so can my Samurai. So that was like a huge light bulb moment for me. And then you never looked back, right? Pretty much. <laughs> what did you do when you got, when you got back from that KOH, did you look at your Sammy and be like, I'm sorry, baby, but I'm going to cut you up and make you a race car. Or how, how did you make that determination? Like, what was the steps to go? I'm going to race KOH. Uh, you've been bit. You've been there since 2014 volunteering. Now you're to the point you're like, okay, I'm going to be a racer. I don't think I ever actually said those words to myself, but I was just like, I, I want to try it. You know, I want a shot at the world's hardest one day off-road race. And initially... I was like, nah, I don't really want to race my Samurai. It's going to be super uncomfortable. I love my little rig. I don't want to screw it up. I'll build something else to race KOH. And what ended up happening was Jesse passed away. And that day, I was on the phone with my brother, and we were both kind of reminiscing about her. And at the time, my brother was helping to build a 4,500 car, 45 or 48. And so he was going to co-drive 
or drive. I can't remember drive or co-drive for that car, but he comes back to me and, and we're talking about Jesse and he's like, why don't you race? And I'm like, Oh snap. Why don't I race? <laughs> you didn't have a good excuse. Did you? <laughs> I didn't have a good excuse. Cause I wanted to. And from what I've found, you know, Jesse influenced a lot of people to make big jumps like that. And unfortunately her passing, I guess, sent a lot of us over the edge to make big leaps. And that was my big leap was diving straight into racing a samurai on 31s and KOH. So <laughs> so now you have two KOHs under your belt? Yep. Ish. Ish. <laughs> Eh, no finishes it, yet, but I'll get there. Yeah, you need to ask. We need to ask Dave for an easier course, or you need to get more wheelbase. <laughs> so, well, I'm I'm going somewhere with this. I mean, basically, you've looked out there, and I think there's other other opportunities and guys to look look towards what they've done out there for pushing the limits. And uh, you know, a couple of those you actually noted it in your notes, but you know, my notes. I mean, I'm super fan of these guys. The guys that took the UTVs. And registered him in 4,400. Oh yeah. It's Cody Miller, right? Yeah. Yep. That's the name I'm looking for. Yep. That was another thing was, um, I think I was sitting around in 2019. Was it 2019? Did he race that one? No, it was no, 2020. 2020 that he raced. Yeah. So it was the day after I had raced and I was volunteering and I came back to do like crowd control or something at chocolate thunder. And so I'm sitting at chocolate thunder watching the jumbotron and I see Cody Miller come across the finish line and it frigging utv on 32 inch tall tires in like 15th place and i'm like if he can do it i can do it you know it was another one of those moments and and going back like i know now that he's a professional racer and all that stuff and he has what it takes but on the same token so do you anyone can do it yeah you know why not I love the gauntlet that you just threw down. You just threw down a bar that I've not heard in so long. And I don't know. I definitely haven't heard it on this show, but you said I raced. And then the day after I raced, I went and volunteered to be out on court, a course worker. So not only you raced, you had your race. And then that was in EMC. The next day you go work the 4,400 course as a volunteer. Yeah. And I'm not going to lie. That was probably the last time I'm going to do that. Cause that was exhausting, but it was cool because my race car was still moving under its own power. So I actually chased a couple cars down on course that day. <laughs> so that was pretty efficient. It was, it's always a lot of fun to volunteer for 44. I mean, that puts you, I mean, in my book, you, you like, you had some cool points, but you just set it up. Like, okay. You think you're you know, that involved? Look, I, I raced yesterday and look, I'm still here. And I'm going to go out there and volunteer for this. I, I love that. Cars, <laughs> yeah. Well, car still moves. Might as well use it. <laughs> well, somebody's going to scoop you up and throw you on their pit crew on race day for the 4400 race. That's the case. Uh, it's probably going to be Randy. <laughs> it probably going to be Randy. That, this is true. You've worked your way well into that. My next question along those lines is, can you see yourself, uh, you know, continue racing your class, continue to do what you do, continue pushing the, the limits there. Can you see yourself in a right seat in a 4400 car? You mean the wrong seat? That one. <laughs> you can still pee the uh, same in that seat or the driver's seat as it turns out. <laughs> when you put it that way, I've actually never thought along those lines, but I, I'm a yes kind of person. If, if someone gives me an opportunity like that, I'm not going to pass it up. Yeah. Don't say no. Yeah. And it's definitely something that like, I, I kind of try to prep myself for mentally too. It's just 
being a co-driver because I haven't done it, I guess, uh, officially yet. But on the same token, like I'm waiting for someone to ask me to. <laughs> so I hopefully I'm good at it. Are we have to mount a lower ants in your car to, you know, in your Cavalier to drive to and from work with your lower ants so you can do your, <laughs> that, that do was my like, course notes. Yeah. That was how I learned how to use the Lowrance. I mounted it in my daily driver Duramax truck and I plotted my drive and, uh, yeah. And, but you did that for, you know, more than a year and you start figuring out what every little thing does. You're sitting in traffic, you're bumper to bumper. Next thing you know, you're filling out. Why is it spinning? Okay. What do I need to do to, you know, man overboard? I hit the man overboard, you know, (laughs) like, 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 what did you do? Or you'd see something and you'd mark it and then try to make the notes while you're driving, like little stuff. And next thing you know, after, I don't know, enough time, I felt like I was really comfortable with it. Today, I know technology has continued to progress, you know, with, with lead nav and all the other, the other apps I haven't kept up. So I'd, I'd be totally worthless. Yeah. I'm back using, you know, 12 year old tech. But that's actually really great advice is just to use that kind of tech on like a day-to-day basis. And the one that I personally use is uh, called uh, Gaia. And it's just a GPS mapping app. I've used it for a couple of years now just to map like the trails that I go wheeling on every weekend. And so I'm super familiar with it. And I'm trying to get my brother and my dad familiar with it too. And my my other co-driver, Jason, from this year is super familiar with it. And it's, you know, we just stick with what we know. It's super easy. I think that's cool. So what is Gaia? G-I-Y-A? It's G-A-I-A. G-A-I-A. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's just a super simple app that you can download on your phone or your tablet or whatever. And you can drop waypoints and make notes and you can use it offline and shows the maps. And like, I just download the GPX file from PCI and download it straight into the app and it works. So. Oh, very cool. Okay. That, see, that's, that's, that's a great little nugget that you could throw onto your phone. Yeah. Cause I, yeah. that, that's been my Achilles heel uh, running around, uh, you know, Johnson Valley on, you know, race week or whatever, have the pre-runner out and the cooler and the chairs and, uh, basically dicking off at KOH, which is what I absolutely love to do and not having the course map. I know about what the court, you know, like I will look at the course map. And so I have a pretty good idea where everything is, but at the same time being exactly on it or off it or whatever it, but if you can throw it on your cell phone. So G I A I G A I A. I got yeah, it back. Sorry. G-A-I-A. Okay. That one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, I don't think it'd be super easy for just a regular spectator to download the course maps. I think probably the best way for a spectator to do it is I know Carter tracks last couple of years. Um, I think on next off-road picked it up this year. But yeah, just sticking with what you know. And I've used the same app for tracking regular trails and it's easy peasy. <laughs> so let's carry that over to when you're not wheeling, but you're still recreating outside. What are your, what are your go-tos? Kayaking, st- paddle boarding? Are you a jogger? Because I'm looking at your list and you've listed all those things. And I'm like, awesome. Yeah, I guess my, I mean, I'm super into full immersion with this whole off-roading thing. So mostly what I do is off-roading and racing and working on my samurai or fabricating or anything like that. But if I've got downtime, I'm probably camping. Or if I have downtime, like after work, some days I'll go paddle boarding or take my dog out hiking or stuff like that. Outdoorsy stuff, you know? Picking up trash at Moon Rocks. Yeah, picking up trash at Moon Rocks. You give it back. 
That's that's a, that's actually a really big one. I'm glad you brought that up because you know I know it's hard to sacrifice a weekend to volunteering, but it is so worth it, and it makes me so happy to go out and do that kind of stuff. Like I'll do my friend Harry Wagner is oh Harry situations. Yes, Harry situations. He he's actually been really good and organized his friends of Moonrocks page. And organize a couple different trash pickup trash pickups after big weekends out there, and those are super fun to help volunteer at because the place just gets like trashed, obviously. But there's that, and then I try to volunteer with Rubicon Trail Foundation every year and do maintenance out at their property or out on the Rubicon Trail. Obviously, volunteering at KOH is a big one. Just like you know, I try to go out of my out of my way to give back to the community and give back to these places that where we recreate, if we don't take care of them, they're going to get taken away from us. So keeping them up to date is, is really big for me. Your philanthropy is off the charts. I feel like a lesser human at this point in the conversation (laughs) about how much of your life you're dedicating on an annualized basis to, uh, to all of this. Yeah. Well, I try. (laughs) Right. Oh man. It's kind of a big deal to me just because I know, at least out here on the West Coast, I've been following, um, have you ever heard of Pismo Beach? Yeah, and the closures. Yeah. And so I've been following that for the last couple of years. And it's like, it breaks my heart to see these places close because Pismo is actually one of the first places where I actually got to go out and experience four-wheeling and stuff like that. So to see that close makes an impact on me to want to keep these places open and accessible for recreation for all of us, even the assholes that want to litter. But on the same token, educating people to pick up the trash and, you know, don't leave white flowers, stuff like that is really big for me. So I try to push that as much as I can. And I wish I could do more, but there was more time in a day. What is the current situation on Pismo? And what's the, or, and do you know like the current situation? I, Cause I don't know if they're on my head on Oceano dunes like that. I, I know out in California, they're trying to shut everything down and close everything down. I thought initially it had to do with like dust, like that there was that the dunes were kicking off dust, but then we had COVID and the dunes were closed and the dust actually went up. The dust went up. I'm not, I thought there was, there was, more dust while the park was closed than when it was open. And so it was a huge, you know, okay. feather in the environment and, you know, uh, I guess the recreation side cap and saying it right. wasn't, it wasn't uh, us creating the dust. The dust is going to exist if we're there, or we're not there off those dunes. When we weren't there, the dust was actually monitored to be higher, or at least that's right. how I read it. it might be, I'd love to hear your take on that. Pretty much. So Take my reporting with a grain of salt, but from what I understand, what you were saying is correct. The, I guess, particle count during the closures was higher than if a park was open. And that was a huge feather in the OHB's cap. But from what I understand, the air board that is in charge of San Luis Obispo County or whatever and the the board that's trying to shut down Oceano Dunes and Pismo is still pushing for it. And and a lot of it is the community that surrounds Oceano too, because they just, they don't like the wheelers. 
you know, it's kind of the same situation in Moab where, you know, they have the UTVs on the street making a bunch of noise. So they put, put in those noise ordinances and can't drive your UTVs on the street and that kind of thing anymore. And there's a bunch of people that live around Pismo these days that just don't want the four wheelers in town and they don't want them bringing the money in. So, so the last thing I heard was that the air board is looking to shut down the dunes in two years. That's suboptimal. That's super suboptimal. It sucks. And it's especially because that's the only place you can drive a vehicle on the beach in California. That's the only part of the coast that you can drive on legally. So you need to move to Texas. No, I'm in Nevada. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, yeah, yeah. You did escape California, but uh, in Texas, you know, we can drive uh, pretty much the entire beach. There's parts that are are closed, but by and large. Yeah. So, you know, my family, we're, we're 45 minutes from the beach. There's, I don't know, three stop signs between my house and the beach. It's mostly highway, but yeah, we'll load, we'll load up the truck with cooler chairs, pop up, you know, boogie boards. And then, yeah, you just back up to the water and that's it. Pull the cooler out. You take the shovel and you dig a hole for each corner of your pop up to put the legs in. And then you bury it, you know, like six inches down. So then the wind doesn't, you know, take your pop up and throw it, you know, across the lake bed, like we're all familiar with, but yeah. And then that, you know, stayed on there two, three hours, let the kids rip it. And our water is not beautiful. Like your water. We are West of the mouth of the Mississippi. So our water is Brown here. It's pretty grody. Um, some days you get clean, you know, fairly blue, but it's mostly Brown, but Hey, it's still warm and waves and tide and. My kids don't know any better. Yeah. I mean, out here, I mean, obviously not out here in Nevada, but out in California, Northern California, the water's pretty cold and it's kind of dark too. So you're not missing out on much. Yeah. Out on cold water. Nope. Not, not not me at all. Not me at all. Uh, But out here in Nevada, we've got beaches, you know, we've got beaches on the lakes and that's super nice to do. And like going back to it, what I like doing on weekdays when I've got time is taking my paddleboard out and just getting out on the water. Like I used to have a boat and it was too expensive. So paddleboarding is my less expensive option to getting out on the lake. Cause you know, growing up around jet skis, kind of a thing that I have to do is be out on the water, you know, go fishing, paddleboarding, kayaking, floating, whatever. <laughs> how are, and how are the lake levels right now? Are, are they all just super really low? Super low. Yeah. That's yeah. Good. Be had said like Folsom Lake was like, it wasn't a lake. It was a puddle. Yeah, the one that I usually go to down here, um, Lake Washoe, is it's actually like a built-in cow pasture. I think it's probably like ten feet at the deepest. Oh, that's terrible. But yeah, it, it, we had a crappy rainfall this year. But, oh well. Now that you're a racer, what's the coolest thing that has happened or tra- transformed or translated in your life? Now that you are, you strap on the helmet and you take the green flag. Oh, you're quiet. Long pregnant pause. Thinking about this one. That many yeah, options. That, that's a really good one. So the first thing that popped into my head was just all the people that I've met from racing and especially from being involved with the Jesse Combs foundation, getting to meet all of her friends and um, hearing their personal stories with Jesse. Cause I never had a personal relationship with her hearing her friend's stories about her makes me closer to her and her purpose and all that stuff. So yeah, meeting people is a big one for me. And then the other big one is also just realizing my driving ability because a I know I'm a good driver. I don't like to toot my own horn, but I know I can rock crawl, 
And then a big turning point for me was actually Moab, where we went and pre-ran and I turned to my co-driver afterwards and I was like, I was going about, you know, 25, 50% on that. And he kind of looks back at me. He's like, yeah, right. That's as fast as you can go, whatever. And so the whole time, you know, we pre-run and we timed it and we figured we could do one lap. That was all we could get to do. And I freaking sent it at Moab and like scared. Well, I don't know. I'm pretty sure I scared my co-driver, but I impressed myself because what I thought was going like 25 to 50%. I mean, I probably doubled or tripled my effort just in the first lap, like learning how to drive my car that fast and learning how much abuse it it can actually take and then how much I can put it through. was pretty cool. (laughs) I love seeing your emotion around that. Like that your, your elation about what you're able to do, what you're able to accomplish and what you're able to pull off in that regard. Now at Moab, you, you rolled, didn't you, didn't you roll on a ledge? During pre-running, I did tip it. That was, that's actually kind of a funny story because we were pre-running with Anthony Hadsall, who has the other samurai that races 4,600. So, and he, he's faster than me, but he was further up on course. We come up on him and he's tipped over. And so we help recover him and he's righted. And then we're like backing out to take another line. And at this point, I'm just like, it's getting late in the day and we're just trying to get back to camp and be done with pre-running. And I started backing down this ledge and I'm like feeling it go back and back. And then the front end starts lifting and I'm like, I can keep going back. Nope. Tip it over. (laughs) I'm right in its natural habitat. Oh, terrible. It happens. What happened in that race? You guys got, it was a three lap race. You guys got, you, you made two laps though. You said, oh, I think in time you thought you were going to get one and you got two. I got two whole laps and I was super stoked about it. But in the end we did time out and I was uh how do I put this so on the we had three laps to do and on the third lap we were supposed to do a upper or lower Eldorado. so that was kind of the factor that was pushing me to go faster and faster because that was my favorite section I really really wanted to do it because in pre-running we did it and I was like because JT had told me and everyone else had said beforehand like this course is built for a samurai and I did lower Eldorado, and I was like this course is built for a samurai. <laughs> so the whole time I was like, I really hope I get to make it to the third lap and do lower held And I really hope there's a drone on me the whole time. Cause I want to see it when it's over with, but I just pushed as hard as I could and made the two laps. And we were just stoked about the two laps. So just expecting to just do one. It was awesome. Well, yeah. Right. I mean, you exceeded expectations, but yeah, I mean, and in the same breath, you fell short of uh, a finish, but as we looked at this year, your next, your next plan was going to be nationals, right? Correct. And then blah. Yeah. So I don't know. Has has everyone kind of figured out what happened to wild West? So I, I knew a little bit, but actually you knew more than I did. So I'd like to, yeah, if you want to walk through, cause you, your information is way better than I've heard of as a complete story. Okay. Yeah. Cause wild West put up that post on their Facebook group that basically they were closing their doors and never really explained why. So I have a, a buddy that knows the owners and I asked him. So he basically told me that the construction company that parked their equipment down to the bottom Q and D construction bought the property and they're planning on unfortunately tearing out the park for their new asphalt plant. So progress that is 
the end to Wild West and it sucks. And every time I tell the story, I have to go back and forth with whoever I'm telling it to, reminiscing about how it was the best course for spectators and it was such a fun event. Yeah, it sucks. I think that's what everyone thinks. And I think everyone is very, you know, melancholy about uh, where nationals, you know, and that th- there's the shift, this change, and it's going to be in Oklahoma. Don't get me wrong. Oklahoma is a driver's course. Like it is the closest thing to KOH outside of KOH. And it's in the middle of nowhere, Oklahoma, with not good spectating, not good. Ho- I mean, hotels aren't closed. There's a casino, but it's not really great. Yeah, it's just suboptimal, but hey, we're excited. I mean, it's still going to be, at least we get a race versus last year. There's so many races that were, you know, canceled. Yeah, amen to that. <laughs> oh, g- good Lord, good Lord. Okay, so so what's next for you? You've got a rock crawl coming up, I think is what uh, what I heard out of you. Yep, so the very next event that I'm planning on doing is the, the old school rock crawl. Delta Classic these days, it's called. So back in the day, it was called the Old School Rock Crawl. They did it for 10 years that way, and then it changed ownership. Now it's run by We Rock, and it's called the Delta Classic. And it's out in Delta, Utah, on this man-made course out in the middle of friggin' nowhere. But it's just a huge party, and I love it, and I go every year. And that was actually the second competition that I had ever entered in. And I took first place in stock class. Oh, hell yeah. And and I doubled second place so i took negative 161 points and second place was negative 82 points that's solid right (laughs) how pumped were you that that was kind of what kicked my butt into like getting serious about competing i was like well crap i guess i'm kind of good at this (laughs) let's see how far i can take it yeah don't run from something you're good at ever embrace it run towards it (laughs) baptism by fire so i think that's a good i love using those words too a good segue into you know that you won and we've talked about like marketing outside of uh this interview we we really haven't you know hit on this but we've talked about like you know some things you and i talked about like marketing yourself and how to put yourself out there and get the most out of things and and one thing that you brought up was podium your podium speech how to get the most out of your podium speech and ensure you get all your people in. So you don't have any podiums in ultra four, but you've obviously had time to think about what your first one's going to be. So I'd love to hear what are your thoughts? Yeah. So I, I know I haven't had a, like an official podium speech yet, but on the same token, like when I came, this is a really good example. When I came into main pit this year, Ian Johnson came over and said, hi. And I was like, Oh my God, it's Ian Johnson. But miles came over with his, you know, freaking little ridge microphone. Yeah. And he was talking to me. And so moments like that, the same kind of thing goes through my head where I'm like, how do I think my sponsors properly? How do I work them into this? And one of the really cool things that I picked up, I don't even know where I got this from was to write all my sponsors and partners on my roll cage right there where I can see it. Like the most driver's side view. I just have all of my partners written down so I don't forget any of them while I'm sitting in the car. So that was a good piece of advice for me, but as far as a podium speech. Well, I think that little, I think that little nugget right there is a genius level cheat sheet. How good is that? You know what? I think I got that from Chris Rea. Oh yeah. I gotta say, yeah, I think, I think he was the one that told me that, but yeah, great little nugget of advice. 
either that or like write it on your hand. And then another one, good, really good one that I got actually is to take a piece of like electrical tape or painter's tape and put it on the dash and then write down weatherman channel and your team's channel and ultra four ops. ops. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely have those in Sharpie in multiple places and then you do it long enough and <laughs> you remember them Yeah, at, at some point. I, I also like along those, along the same vein of uh questioning is, um, and I got this, I got this from Wayne Israelson. Wayne gets his lefts and rights confused. So what you do is <laughs> on the GPS, on the upper left corner, it says left and the lower left corner, it says left. And on the right, the upper right corner, it says right <laughs> on the lower right corner. It says, right. so there's multiple places on that side of the navigation navigator seat that it's the right. And then it's the left. And then also some corresponding ones. You'd like to you know have them on the dash too. You know, labels if possible, if you have a little label maker, but uh, Sharpie also gets done. So when you're yelling out, go right, like, because it's like your head just sees, it says right, right next to it. You know, it's right versus, hey, go right. No, I meant your other left, you know. Like, right. Yeah, that's funny that you bring that up because, like, I thought I was the only person in the world, but I can't tell my left from my right either. Like, even driver passengers, sometimes I get super screwed up and it's super frustrating because me and my co-driver will just, like, get at each other's throats for it. Like, no, other driver, other. <laughs> you know, You're yeah, other, 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 other driver. Oh, so yeah. that, that's a good piece of advice to you though. Having a little visual reminder definitely helps. It's like learning how to back up a trailer with your dad standing out the back and he's just screaming <laughs> at you. No, you're uh, the other way. <laughs> right. What do you Actually, mean? The first, the first year we raced, me and my brother didn't have intercom. So we, worked it out pretty well where he would just motion and point if I had to go in one direction or the other direction or like upshift, downshift, he'd point up, point down. So I guess, uh, sign language works. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I mean, I think we, you know, most of us, if you haven't experienced it, your time's coming is when your comms die in the car for whatever reason, some reason. And then you start, you, you start working out the hand signal, like the old JT Ninja chop, you know, the, the knife hand, that's, that's the direction and keep it going as fast as possible. Then you start making fists, like slow down. And then that direction, (laughs) you figure it out, you know, absolutely. Yeah, what, 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 whatever works. So you did, you did another podcast a while back with the, uh, and I always do it backwards. Whiskey, no wheeling wine and whiskey wheeling, wheeling. It leads with wheeling. I always say whiskey, wine and wheeling because I feel like, (laughs) but that's the wrong order, right? Because no, it's not the wrong in my head. It's not the wrong order, but it's whiskey, wine and wheeling means the wheeling, it's the longer word. It goes at the back uh, and it flows like as you read off, uh, oh, off, your, okay. t- off your tongue, but that's so right. m- mentally, that's how I remember it, but it's not, it's wheeling wine and whiskey, Chris and Jason over at their podcast. They cover a lot of off-road stuff. Those guys are animals, man. They, uh, they just chug through some, some content. I wear out like, uh, I guess maybe that's the difference between having someone to bounce stuff off of. And e- so you talked about Ian, Ian Johnson actually talked to me at KOH, I don't know, two, maybe two years ago. And was just like, and he's a stud, right? I mean, he is a media mogul in my book in the, in the, in the off-road genre. He's got shows, he's got a network, he's got, he's everything. I mean, Ian's kind of the total package on, on when it comes to that. 
And he says to me, he says, Wyatt, you are absolutely doing it the hardest way possible and you're killing it. And that's just a single one-on-one interviews. I'm like, huh? Well, I just don't know any better. <laughs> right. If you don't well, know any better, freaking killing it. <laughs> but Chris and Jason over at wheeling wine and whiskey, those guys, uh, they get to bounce stuff off of each other and they have a great dialogue back and forth. So I listen to them with some regularity. I don't catch all of theirs, just like I'm sure people don't catch all of mine either, which, but there's certain people that as I see them come up, I don't listen to theirs because I intend to interview or hope to interview them in the future. So you were on there and, uh, and Randy Sloss, Randy was on there. Randy was, I'm going to say Randy was cute here. Randy calls me and is like, Hey man, I know, uh, I know like we were, we had this, you know, we had this plan, but I was like, no, Randy, you absolutely should do that one. And there's a reason why, because it's marketing, it's free marketing for you. And it's again, pushing your message out there, carrying your story and keeping your name out in the relevancy. There is no reason, any driver, anyone you should if someone asks you, you say yes. And I know that's kind of your rule. You just say yes to everything and then you figure it out. Right. You're not going right. to say no. And so, the, you know, Chris and Jason uh, interviewed you and I was like, okay, well that's one I can't listen to this week. So, uh, you know, cause invariably at the beginning of the season, I write down like my 20 people that I'm like, okay, depending on timing, I work my way down and I got to you and you had to show out earlier. And, and then Randy, his, his was out there with those guys. And I was like, man, Chris and Jason are beating me to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, they're on it. I know Jason loves doing what he does and Chris loves doing it too. And it's just fun watching those guys do their thing. It's fun following along with them too. Yeah. And I think that's what, you know, Randy thought I was, you know, be a fan. I'm like, listen, no, you can do, you can do Kimmel and you can do Fallon. You could have done Letterman and then you could do Leno. Like it's, you can (laughs) drink Coca-Cola and you can also drink Dr. Pepper. It's, (laughs) <laughs> you, you can do you can do both and actually as a matter of fact you should do both um absolutely you should do both so uh anyone yeah. if if you're looking for another like off-road podcast that that uh these guys dabble in 4400 or in ultra four every now and then is uh chris and jason over at the wheeling wine and whiskey podcast you can find them all the same places that you find me and uh and, and crank them out they are good stuff you had, and that drew, drew me this question, or it was your question to me. Why have I not been on their podcast? Because I have agreed. I have agreed. I don't know how you guys do it. Like, I don't know, like, like putting yourself in the vulnerable spot to be interviewed. I'm not very good about that. Honestly, I'm kind of, it's kind of a chicken shit thing to say. I'm kind of scared about it. Like I can talk. <laughs> I can talk to you about all of your life and interject in and mix in some little details. I can handle that. I don't know. I'd- well, I mean, it, like listening to all the talent take episodes, we kind of get tidbits of like who Wyatt is. And so like my whole thought process was like, Hey, why don't we just get one podcast and get the whole story out? And I think Jason would be a great person to do the interview too. He's, he's just super fun to interview with. And it, you, you sit there and you feel like you're just talking to someone else. You know, you're just telling your story. So this was, and I, I have agreed and actually I canceled on them and I canceled on them last December or whenever Adam Shearer and, uh, Matt Howell, whenever their episode was, I had a, a, a recording issue. And so what I did with that day, I got in a car and I drove to Fort worth five hours to interview those two guys to fix it. Like that was 
I didn't want to skip not have an, ep- an episode. So that's what I did. I drove up there and I called the, I called Jason or my message him. I was like, I have to bail on you. Sorry. I, I definitely apologize. And so I drove to Fort Worth. I recorded those guys and it was a total disaster. The audio was even worse. So we threw it away. <laughs> it was a total trip and I made it up with them and did both of them separately and we got it all worked out. But that was the day that I canceled on the wheeling wine and whiskey event. You know, now we're a year and a half past that. So I should probably go back and- no, I've talked to him and, and we keep talking about, it. I just haven't, I just really haven't, uh, had the time for it. And, uh, you know, when we finish this season, then yeah, that'll happen. So thanks for putting me on the spot, Amber. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> all right. Have we talked about everything you wanted to talk about? I think so. I'm going to look back at my notes really fast. I really appreciate that you brought up the whole me volunteering and the whole Pismo dunes and all that kind of stuff thing. Cause like I said, it, it's something that's really close to me. And anytime I can get someone else as hyped about volunteering and giving back to the community and education and all that kind of stuff, it, it really, that's kind of a big driving factor for me. So <laughs> well, I'll, I'll throw that. If there are two P's I think here in life for me is passion and perspective. And if you have passion for something, you're going to pursue it to the nth degree. If you have passion in, in, in your relationships, uh, with your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, if you have passion in your job and you can see uh, if you have passion in, uh, racing or passion in your hobby, you're going to give it your 110%. If you don't have passion for it, you're going to, you're going to phone it in. And then within that you need perspective. And, and for me, perspective I lose perspective with some regularity. You know, you get, you, you burned out like this show. I, I, I do. I absolutely get burned out. You know, when you have a full-time job plus kids and plus these things, next thing you know, you're like, oh, I mean, is it, you know, what am I, you know, what am I accomplishing? And, you know, I've taken what was a hobby and it still is a hobby. absolutely a hobby and made it something of a job. And I, we're all guilty of doing that. Like every one of us, everyone that's every single person that listens is guilty of taking something that was fun and making it not fun. Right. Yeah. And and that's kind of where I was with fabrication when I got the shop with Randy was that I had hit a wall and I wasn't learning anymore. And so I knew that I wanted to get back into off-roading and the automotive industry and all that stuff. And so when I had the opportunity to get into a shop that worked on ultra four cars, like all my worlds combined and stuff just worked out. So hopefully I don't burn myself out on this one but I am definitely rekindling my enthusiasm for fabrication with this new job. Do you see cutting your teeth on this whole thing by maybe uh, extending your learning into building your own bomber fab car? That's definitely something that's come up a lot. (laughs) Everyone's like, so when are we going to see a bomber with the samurai hood? And my answer is, I don't know. (laughs) Cause like I said, I like to go into things with zero expectations. So I guess cutting my teeth right now. And the whole starting point is just to learn as much as I can and take baby steps. I like it. It'd be really cool to get into a bomber. I'm not going to lie. I haven't gotten to drive one yet. I haven't even driven the trail bomber yet, which is kind of sad, but I have made Randy roll it. (laughs) Oh wait, I did drive the trail bomber. Never mind. I take that back. But you know, keep it in the back of your mind. Yeah, there you go. I can see you saying, Hey Randy, 
I need to take that this weekend out to moon rocks for marketing, right? You need to get the name out there. You need to. Yeah, uh, exactly. I, said, I, <laughs> the, the, I know you guys can't see it, but I did like little, uh, I flashed my eyelashes. <laughs> I'm doing a little eye flutter. Please Can let I me please do this. Take, <laughs> please let me take the bomber out. Ex- yeah, exactly. And so, well, I found that to be really cool out of Randy that, you know, he is building a car for Krista, you know, that, that was, uh, that's, that's that was a funny else. conversation the other day. She said she's been waiting 20 years for that sucker. I know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, get yeah. the, we'll get the story out of Randy in the future. All right. So as we're, as we're wrapping up, we're coming to a close top three songs that are Amber Turner right now, this day, this slice of life right now, top three songs go. I couldn't think of two more songs, but the one song that I always come back to especially when it comes to racing and everyone's going to get a kick out of this is loser by Beck. <laughs> and He's that's a loser, like, baby. So why don't you kill me? <laughs> why don't me? you kill me? Yeah, that one. <laughs> so I love playing that song. Like if I, I do have a PA in my car, but if I could blare that song over the PA, when I leave, start, finish, it would make my whole life. <laughs> like I said, go into it with zero expectations. Oh, well, I mean, there you go. That leaves, uh, you can only impress yourself. Exactly. Sky's the limit there. So no, you don't have two more. Like that's it. You're just, uh, you're going to limit yourself to one. I, you know what I tried? I went through my playlist and like everything I have in my playlist is super lame. So (laughs) that's not good. You need a better playlist. Stop stop saying no to your playlist. Say yes. Run your horizons. (laughs) All right. Well, Amber, wow. I'm super impressed with you as a human. I'm super impressed with you as uh, someone who is just challenging the norms, you know, just taking a samurai and going on a race in KOH. Most people would say you needed your head examined. I see a method to your madness, but man, I'm so grateful that you came on. I'm so grateful that you were, uh, you know, this, uh, this episode 46. And, uh, I look forward to what this next year has in store for you at, uh, at bomber fab. Well, gee, thank you, Wyatt. I'm I'm looking forward to everything in the future. Honestly, I never ever thought that any of this would get taken this far, but here we are, and I'm on the time take. <laughs> you just don't say no. That's it. You, that's that. I think that's been a continuing theme in almost every decision we talked about of yours throughout this. Is you just didn't say no. You just pushed for it and said go, and people got on board behind you. Yep. That's pow- uh, yep, that's powerful. Say yes. <laughs> thank you. Well, Amber, thank you for coming on. And on that note, we're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into The Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at The Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.